I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. We are so excited about this first episode of 2020 because we are welcoming the most incredible guest an author and a speaker, Kobe Kozlowski, an incredible teacher who wrote this beautiful book called One Degree Revolution, How the Wisdom of Yoga Inspires Small Shifts That Lead to Big Changes. This conversation is beautiful, but Amy and I haven't talked for so long. It's so exciting to talk to you. I know it's been so long. Mm -hmm. It's literally been last year since we have spoken to one another. The last episode we had my teacher Brant on and it was before Christmas. I was recording that from San Diego where my entire family came and we spent the holidays there. Um, how were your holidays? They were lovely. It was quiet. We made an intention to do the hol- holidays in a very low-key manner. So it felt really nice just to focus on the little ones and just marinate in their wonder about Christmas and Santa and not stress about over shopping or overdoing or over scheduling. So it was it was really lovely. How about you? Yeah, it was very similar. The special part of it was just being together. We kept it simple. And instead of going out and going to all of the community events, our outing each day was just going for a walk and going for a walk near the beach. Sometimes my big event of the day would be just to walk out to watch the sunset. So it was really about the simple joys of life, about enjoying each other as a family. And we had a little bit of an odyssey coming back home to Vancouver We were flying home the day before New Year's Eve, um, my husband and my daughter and I, and we came to find that the airline had sold two of our tickets. And so it was a bit of an odyssey coming home. Um, We ended up getting our daughter home and that was very important to her. And Cliff and I stayed near the airport with our dog and we flew early the next morning. So I think that odyssey and very little sleep for a couple of days and you know thankful for these practices because it was it's pretty stressful in the airport when you find out that you no longer have a ticket on that airplane Um, but I I was able to find just some level of contentment at the same time and realize that you know whatever was going to be was going to be we were going to figure out a way to get home However, just the reality, I think, of the internal stress of that and little sleep and then being on airplanes over the holidays, we got back to Vancouver. We had a beautiful New Year's Day. It was so warm. It was like spring here. And my husband and I just went for this epic walk. And 
I like to think about what we do at the beginning of the year is something that we want to do more of through the year. And just just spending time out in nature with somebody that I love, you know, that's the ultimate for me. Mm-hmm. But then two days after that, the flu. <laughs> oh, no. So I just now feel like, you know, it was a new year. It was 2020. Anytime you go on social media, it's like everybody is just full of possibility. And, and it's going to be like a brand new life. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and just now, you know, having my health back, uh, I'm finally feeling that sense of renewal and sense of vitality back. And um, the weather has been crazy for Vancouver as well. We don't normally get snow and it's just a winter wonderland right now. All the schools were closed yesterday. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of it was, um, you know, taking a walk last night and it was just that snow that you see in a Christmas card, you know, big and white and fluffy, just floating down and covering the branches of the trees and um, just the dim light of the street lights. It was really magical out last night. Not a lot of people in the city know how to handle it. So it does shut the city down because it doesn't snow often. But mm. oh, it sure has looked lovely. Well, it sounds like that would have been lovely around Christmas. I know. You know, we had the opposite in Christmas. We were in San Diego and I'll, that's fine. <laughs> no complaint. <laughs> no yeah. complaint. How would you speak to the first few weeks of January when it comes to what's been going on with you? It's been really interesting here. There is a lot of that new newness with the year and there's an energy I feel around the city of people wanting to make change. And, and I know that comes every year, it feels like in January, people set their intentions or you might call them resolutions, um, but there does seem to be an energy, uh, a increased energy around the city. And then our weather has been really interesting in Ohio. So we started out, we haven't really had hardly any snow at all to speak of whatsoever. So we've had the typical like 30 degree Fahrenheit. I know you're in Celsius. Um, So around 30 degrees has been typically what we've had. But then this past weekend, it was 65 degrees. So we had like the doors open and the windows open and people were outside and and you just knew that it wasn't going to last, but it was really lovely while we had it because now the what the winter is back and it's cold again still no snow though we don't have any snow yet weather is such a great teacher i Mm -hmm. anybody who is in the pacific northwest like i am we can relate when the sun comes out it is like a celebration right now Mm -hmm. in fact we're recording this on on thursday right now as we've been talking the sun has just come out and so everything is just completely bright and white and i cannot wait to put my boots on and go for a long walk and that's what happens in the city the sun comes out you go outside it's like you're in a shopping mall almost (laughs) like there's just so many people on the sidewalks and and on the walking paths and you feel a sense of community but let's remember just because a cloud crosses over the sun doesn't mean that the sun is gone you know? I just heard that yesterday. 
Yeah. Oh, it's such a, it's, I think about it all the time. It's such, it's such a teaching for life. We're, the sun is out. And for many of us, anyway, it will lift our spirits. We'll get outside, which in itself is a practice that makes us feel better. And then it's cloudy and, you know, maybe windy and rainy. So we stay outside and maybe we feel a little bit more grumbly about what's going on outside. But the thing is, the sun is still there. And mm-hmm. the possibility for us to feel that good and still be celebrating the sweetness of life is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what have y- you mentioned before the beginning of the year that your intentions for the new year were going to be space? How, how has that mm-hmm. played out for you? It's going well. So I, I did a whole practice with our meditation teacher at the studio, a whole private practice. It was lovely with trying to really nail down my word of the year. And I thought it was space. And then I thought it was faith. And it turns out it's freedom. And freedom in my schedule, freedom in my energy, freedom in my time. And having that be my... North Star for this year, as I question, will this bring me more freedom or will this bring me less freedom? And so I've really been sitting on my hands and trying to sit with the the practice of not overscheduling myself, not taking on another course, not taking on another project. Because my tendencies, of course, are to overdo, overschedule, overbook, overwork, and none of that brings me freedom. So I have really been sitting with this practice, and so far, so good. Um, it's really, I feel great. My energy is up. I feel space in my, in my life, in my environment, in my relationships, and I'm, I'm going with it. So that idea of bringing more space, I, I'm really embracing that still and having the word freedom be my my North Star. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel similarly, I, I was able to take some time and really think about what I wanted to choose to devote my attention and intentions on in 2020. And my word was, or I guess the concept more, the feeling and all of the ways that you would define this word. It's about light and lightness. I was noticing over the holidays, you mentioned sort of tendency and you have this tendency to overschedule. And I'd say one of the tendencies that has limited me for my whole life, and I'm noticing it the more aware that I become, is making choices for myself for the comfort of others. And Mm -hmm. I haven't spent a lot of time with family because we don't live in the same city. So sort of more family of origin members. And I love them so much. I love them so much. I really treasure our relationship. It's incredibly special. And we have different ways of life. And because I have spent several months now where I haven't been exposed to certain ways of life that just for me no longer serve me certain certain substances enjoyed at a certain time of day for instance that Mm -hmm. are just not serving me anymore and some of 
what the holidays and Christmas has been about for my family of origin when it comes to um, what we're taking in on a physical level, like certain treats that are related to that time of year. And listen, I love dessert. I'm not ever going to give that a bad name. Mm -hmm. However, I noticed myself in the company of others who were making certain choices about what they drank or what they ate, that I was doing it even though I authentically didn't feel like it sometimes. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I, and I learned something about myself. You know, you and I had a big podcast that was based on alcohol and my questioning of alcohol and your questioning of alcohol, which caused you to completely give it up. But my questioning of alcohol that still remains. And so it was really up for me over the holidays because I noticed that this isn't what I feel like. And I noticed the pull to take an action that wasn't authentic for me. Now, I didn't always. So, I mean, it really felt like a strengthening opportunity. And I noticed that I was still loved. And and even if there would have been a mention of me not taking part, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It, it So I really learned that that tendency is still there of taking some actions that maybe aren't right for me that are for the comfort of others. And a few other opportunities have come up in my work life over the past few weeks that there is an option that I could make a choice to make somebody else feel more comfortable, or there is an option to stand firm in what is right for me. And so it's not been the most comfortable 2020 as of yet. Um, But I actually think that's really good. I think this Mm -hmm. is work that I need to do that was very present for me over the holidays because I haven't been in those situations in a long time. And I noticed that it's more around codependence than it is around needing any certain substance. So that was just an interesting insight and aha moment for me. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. In, in the studio, we're, we are investigating the eight limbs of yoga and satya came up last night, truthfulness. And we really dove deep into this idea that we don't always honor our true nature because of the need to belong or the need to be to feel included. Mm-hmm. And that just reminds me of, of your story of this strong pull to care for others or to be included or to want to belong. And sometimes that takes us out of what we might feel is natural for us. Oh, so much. And if I really do the work and I think back of, you know, where did I learn? Where did we all learn to make sure that everybody felt really happy and pleasant towards us so that we could feel safe? You know, we all learned that really early on. We're all learning that as kids with our, in our family of origins and then with our first communities with, with other kids, uh, we learn the different ways that we need to, or we may feel that we need to betray ourselves or um, portray ourselves so that other people feel comfortable. And then that makes us feel safe. So that helps me to forgive myself for the times that I have stepped away from what's right for me, because it's coming from a place of habit of what I felt like I learned that I needed to do in order to feel safe. 
Mm-hmm. But I know that I don't have to do that in that group of people. And I know that ultimately that group of people wants my highest good. And so it's it's coming down to me now. It's coming down to be able to just be strong enough in what I know serves me, not in that right or wrong, because I read this is bad for me and this is good for me. Not that. I don't want to get all caught up in that. But what do I know from having lived life for this many years of what is going to serve me in the long run to allow me to feel the best way that I can? Because when I do, I'm a better mom, I'm a better partner, and I'm a better daughter. So just in that moment, it's worth the few moments of sitting in discomfort that I feel like I'm not living up to others' expectations in order for the greater good, right? And Mm -hmm. So that's like a, a thing that I'm still learning. I'll just I'll just be real with that. I'm still learning that. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like an amazing opportunity for growth. Well, and speaking of learning, Amy, we learned so much from our guest today. Mm, this was wonderful. Mm-hmm. What a way to come back for our first episode of the Radiant Warrior podcast for 2020. We are so Um, proud and honored to welcome author, speaker, teacher, Kobe Kozlowski, who wrote this incredible, beautiful book that we're going to talk to her about. And just to go over a few things that are on Kobe's resume. (laughs) She's amazing. She's a founder um, and leader of a beautiful coaching and yoga teacher trainings. She created this evolutionary program called Quarter Life Calling, creating an extraordinary life in your 20s. She teaches and creates at Kripalu. She's a certified Ayurvedic health educator. She has certifications in flower essence studies and nutritional studies and Chinese medicine studies. Really, we could go on and on. She's also a surfer and an artist and a triathlete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, yeah. she did a half marathon a couple of years ago. This, She's an amazing speaker. This is an incredible woman, and we are so excited to welcome you on. Welcome, Kobe. Thank you so much for having me, really, really. We want you to know that your new book, One Degree Revolution, How the Wisdom of Yoga Inspires Small Shifts That Lead to Big Changes, could be the official handbook of the Radiant Warrior podcast. <laughs> because it's this is exactly what we're talking about all the time. This is a mm-hmm. guide for how we can use the concepts and tools and skills from the science of yoga and Ayurveda to support us feeling better in our very real contemporary lives. That's our goal too. So thank you for this book. I love it. Well, thank you for, I mean, really, when I found out that I was going to be on, I'm like, yeah, like it just felt like a perfect match. So I really appreciate your time and um, for checking the book out and, you know, and really just what we're all trying to do in the world, right? Do our little part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Kobe, you've achieved and created so much what is your why or your driving force behind all that you have learned and created? That's a good question. Um, I've always been deeply interested in human potential. And whether it was my family and my friends or my community, my whole life that's been just like, what is possible? As I got older and started to dive into these practices and studying, studying different ways of riding the waves of life, Um, I ended up creating a program for people in their 20s called Quarter Life Calling, Creating an Extraordinary Life in Your 20s. And for me, 
supporting that particular age group became such a passion of mine. Um, it, you know, being with these young adults and recognizing how much pain and suffering and confusion and um, lack of community and support that a lot of these young adults were experiencing, it really became my my mission and my goal and my passion was to support these young adults to say like, hey, here's all this stuff I've been studying the last 15, 20 years or however long it was that's helped me, um, not to say that my life is perfect, but has helped me really learn to trust life more, to trust the mystery more, to go into different experiments of life more. And I want to share. I just genuinely want to support people that want to fully savor this gift of life while we're having it. And um, so I created that particular program um, more than 10 years ago now. And yeah, it's just a deep interest to serve and to help. And, you know, when I was young, when I was like, I don't know, five or six, it's like I always knew I wanted to be a teacher of something. I just never knew what it actually was. And when I entered into this world of wellness, for lack of better words, um, it just became like, oh, right, this is what I want to share. And this is what I want to dive into myself. So for me, I never claim to be an expert on anything. I'm just deeply interested in, I'm just deeply interested in life. And I want to share it with those that are interested. So I mean, it's kind of a vague answer. But my why is that people are hurting, people are suffering. I mean, we don't have to look that far, right? Like, the climate, the environment, um, sex trafficking, depression, anxiety, obesity, school systems, you know, and not to, to only look through that lens, but there is a lot of places where I think most of us would agree that we can do better. And for me, these practices of, of yoga and meditation and Ayurveda has been a doorway in of saying, okay, like I can be with this. I might not be able to change everything, but I can do my part and then how can I share with others that are interested in doing their part? You mentioned first diving into all of this. And one of our favorite questions for people who share yoga is to ask them about their yoga story. Like, why why did you first go to that first class? And what got you hooked so that you wanted mm. to, uh, you felt compelled to share it for your life? So my aunt was a yoga teacher, I don't know a million years ago before everybody was into yoga. And for years, she would always be like, try yoga, try yoga. And I was like, I'm all set. <laughs> and when I was 17, for whatever reason, I ended up taking my first yoga class. I think it was just at like a gym that I went to or something. And I remember going to it and being totally bored by it. I was like, why does my aunt do this? Why does anybody do this? This is boring. And the teacher was that stereotypical like yoga teacher, like very calm and slow. And at the time, and maybe still so, I was um, pretty fast. I talked fast. I moved fast. I did just about everything fast. And so I didn't really get this whole slowing down thing and this going inward thing. And um, so I actually did not enjoy yoga at first, Your yoga as an asana yoga. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I kept going, but I did. I think there was just some, and literally, I have no real answer. People have asked me this before. I'm like, I don't know. I just kept going. And then a couple of years later, when I was in my early 20s, 20 or 21, I ended up having a knee injury. It was supposed to be a routine ACL reconstruction, and the doctor made a mistake. And I ended up um, not being able to walk on and off crutches for six years, had nine surgeries, had an allergic reaction to one of the um, 
anesthesia that I had and ended up bedridden. My vision was impaired. And that was really the time for me that I ended up moving home with my parents. They set up a bed in their living room. And that was a time for me where it was like, oh, like, who am I beyond my body? You know, I'd always been an athlete and really identified with what my body could do. And even in yoga, the yoga that I'd been doing was like, oh, well, it's fun to do handstands. It's fun to do arm balances, whatever. But it was that time where it was like, oh, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't see. I couldn't read. I couldn't. I just sat there and just laid in bed. And it was like this broken record of, well, who am I really? Who am I if I can't do this? And I really started going to this this inner world of what I think the yoga had been trying to prepare me for. And that became, that time period, that three months of laying in bed, really, I mean, that six years of not really being able to use my body in the way that I wanted to. But that really became this like, oh, like, here's my inner world. Like, I cannot escape it. I can't run away from it. I can't, you know, do all the things that I had done to not really go in as deep as I went in, in, in at that time. So that became a whole new journey of like, wait, what is yoga really? And what is yoga if I can't use my body? And um, so I always say that that was kind of an initiation into this whole other world. And that set me on a different course. And so for me, it's probably part of the reason why, I mean, I work with all age groups, but I think there was a, uh, it was because I was a, you know, 21 years old, why I love working with that age group is because of what I went through myself and then the questions that were just up and the choices that I was making and recognizing, wait, what, is this belief really mine? Is this thought really mine? Is this feeling really mine? And what do I do with this? And how do I want to, how do I want to show up? And so I just became so hungry for just more. And I, at that time period, just, I wanted to study everything I possibly could about every way of understanding the human condition, whether it was, you know, yogic philosophy or Zen or positive psychology or, you know, how many languages of life could I learn? And uh, so that was, that was really to me the beginning and the, the, yeah, the greatest lesson, the greatest lessons of my life started then, though at the time I didn't see it that way. Right. I was like, why can't I move my body? Why can't I do what I want to do? And it's, it's kind of a nothing story, but at the time it seemed like it was everything. That's a big story to have such a, an experience at that, at such a young age to transform you. You are also an Ayurvedic health educator? Well, I, you know, my friend Erin, who's the dean of the Ayurveda school at Kripalu, we always joke about this. I actually went and did a two-year Ayurvedic training before I actually did my first yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. And though I love the wisdom of Ayurveda, I I don't put myself out in the world that way. But I think that there's, to me, Ayurveda is it's really tapping into rhythm and attention, right? Like what are the rhythms that I want to line myself up with so that way I really can ride the waves of life more skillfully? And the question that came from Ayurveda that I live into, one of the questions I live into the most is, where am I committing a crime against wisdom? And to me, Ayurveda is, it's about wisdom. It's about, it's about in some ways, common sense. So I don't, I don't um, put myself out in that way, but I do really believe in just the basics of like, mm-hmm. when do you go to sleep? When do you wake up? Where are you committing a crime against wisdom? If you're dry, you need oil. If you know, like just it's, and to me, I think sometimes we forget about the most basic things. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just write a book called common sense can change your life. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. You know, like just 
where are you just not living into common sense or where are you committing a crime against wisdom? And then the next question for me is, and what are, what am I prepared to do about it? So, um, I do appreciate Ayurveda. I just, that's, that's not my, my main, main work in the world. Now, when I read that crime against wisdom information in your book, it comes in pretty early in the book. That was one of my oof moments. Like when you, when you phrase it that way, what are the crimes against wisdom that are happening in your life around, you know, staying up too late, even though when your body is tired, I am now thinking about that. That's definitely one of the small shifts that you suggest in your book that stayed with me. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about it all the time. And I also wanted to share a couple of other practices that have now uh, I've claimed as my own because this book is just full of countless practices. Every other page, there's affirmations or inquiries or meditations or breath work or just a way that we can have a shift in our mindset. So a couple of my favorites, you know, I think practices come to us and then we explore them in our own personal practice, but then some of them become mainstays. And these two Mm -hmm. have become mainstays for me. And the first is the welcoming. And I do. Every single morning, you suggest that we welcome it all. We welcome our physical body. We welcome sensations in our physical body. We welcome the emotions that are there, the thoughts that are there, not making anything better or worse than the other. We just welcome it all. And especially in times when not everything is as we would prefer it to be, it is such a softening experience personally for me to welcome it all. And I wanted to describe it a little bit just for our listeners. And then the other one is you, know, you you teach so many different yogic concepts that we've chatted about here. You talk about the doshas and you talk about the koshas, this yogic map of a human being and how, you know, all of these layers, they, they become transparent and they lead to sort of the center of who we are. We can think of it as true nature, but um, the word is ananda or bliss. And your practice is you're asking the reader to simply look around right in the here and now and where is the bliss here? Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't need to tell any of us that we have this negativity <laughs> bias and we're always, it's so easy to look for what's wrong and what we wish would be better. It has been beautiful for me to just look around at the simple items around me or just the simple sweetnesses or comforts in life and be able to find the bliss in that. So those are two practices that I now own. Thank you. I love them. Thank you. Thanks for taking them on. Well, and what I want to go to from there is of all of the practices in this book, what are the practices that are your non-negotiables and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, So, I mean, for me, honestly, just a little backstory. So it's like everything I share in this book has been practices that have helped me, right? Like I'm one of those people, I don't like to have my time waste. I don't like to waste other people's time. And so through the years of teaching that program for people in their 20s or teaching the leadership work that I do or the coaching work I do or the yoga teacher training, like whatever it is I'm teaching, I'm always like, And this is what I have found to be useful and practical. And it's not a one-time thing, right? It's not like one time I'm going to be welcoming to myself or one time I'm going to, you know, see bliss or whatever. But there are times where it's like, oh, this is what's trying to get my attention right now. So throughout the book, you know, there, as you mentioned, there's, um, I don't know, hundreds of inquiries and experiments and ideas. And right now, I think what's trying to get my attention most from the book is is pausing 
is surrendering is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, historically speaking, like a manifester. I make things happen. I get things done. Like, and I think for as long as I've known, like, yes, like I should pause is good. Like I really am feeling it from the inside out of like the value of that we were talking about before we, we started recording of just having really good boundaries. And I just feel so clear at this point in my life of what I want to give attention to and what I don't. And so right now it's this place of creating space just for the sake of space, not for the sake of creating something else. You know, it's like, I can create things. I know that about myself, but can I pause just for the sake of pausing? Can I surrender just for the sake of surrendering? And when it is, it's time for something else to emerge to trust that it will and not to fill the space with, okay, well, what's the next thing I'm going to, um, you know, my brother, I was talking to him the other day. He's like, okay, where's book number two? You know, and <laughs> I think old version of me would be like, yeah, you're right. Like, let's get on it versus like, oh, can I just actually take a moment and feel the feelings and, you know, celebrate all that has happened in the last couple of years in my life. Um, so though that is not, you know, it's, I don't know if that'll be true in a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now. Because, you know, the other experiments in the book are, have been so valuable of sitting in the fire and um, rewriting story and challenging beliefs and, you know, the more active parts of transformation and change. But right now, it's just, it, it, I think it is pause and surrender and trust. I was just hanging on every word, going, nodding my head. Yes, yes, yes. Space, pause, absolutely. And how much that resonates to me personally, and I'm sure to our listeners, that we pride ourselves on the doing and the creating and the producing, but yet so many of us struggle with giving ourselves permission to take a pause. And the difference between, right, like the difference between knowing it's a good idea and actually doing it, right? right? And like, and you know, in the book, I talk about like all the resistance that can come up and the gremlins that come up and the parts of ourselves that want to self-sabotage. And so for me, the practice of getting comfortable being uncomfortable is not the challenge it's the softening mm -hmm. and so i have to notice the places where i'm like oh i gotta go do it. and i'm like and okay and may like what is it to just get comfortable being uncomfortable softening and doing nothing for the sake of you know right i think earlier you said what's my why around the work that i do it's really like what's my for the sake of in the moment you know for the sake of what am i going to pause now and you know i'm in a place and uh, of my life of just, I really want to, I use this metaphor all the time. It's like, I want to taste the food. I don't want to just know the menu, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, and I think for so many years, I wanted to know everything that was on the menu of spirituality and um, diving into yoga and all this stuff. And now it's really, really, really true of like, I just want to savor and experience and cherish and taste and fully feel and that's why, you know, the boundaries feel extra important. Um, so I'm not just running through my life. And then I get to the end. I'm like, okay, well, I did a ton. Cool. Mm -hmm. Versus mm -hmm. like, because, you know, as much as I'd love to think that I'm going to be remembered for centuries after I die, like the likelihood of that is probably pretty small. And I don't mean that as like a negative thing, but more as a, it, when I really take time to, I, I often meditate on my death and when I really pause and recognize that at some point this wild trip of life is going to end for me, it gets me to a place of, of going from being serious to being deadly serious. And I talk about that in the book of, 
you know, what does it mean to be deadly serious about these practices for the sake of this life, you know, while we've begin, been, been given it? And how do I want to show up? How do I want to participate? How do I want to engage? How do I want to put myself out there? And then in turn, you know, how can I share this with those that are interested? And that really was part of the intention of the book was, you know, when I when I talked to the publisher about this book and I'm like, well, originally this was inspired by my workshop for people in their 20s. And they were like, yeah, but this information is for everybody. This is not information that is just for people in their 20s or 30s. It's for anyone interested in really wanting to celebrate their life and to show up to life and be part of the different perfection that we're evolving into, right? Because we can all say, like we were talking about earlier, like we can all see that the, the problems in the world, that that's easy. But how do we become part of the blossoming, the evolution of uh, um, the evolved society that I think most of us want to be part of? So for me, you know, these practices for myself or for whoever that's interested, it's it's both both about going in, but it's also ultimately to go out and say, well, what am I adding to the tapestry while I'm here? I could ramble for hours. <laughs> please do. Please do. It's, yeah. There's so much richness there. But you did mention meditation, which is mm -hmm. another aspect of your book that is very powerful because you're allowing people to strip away the rules around meditation, that it has to be this formal seated practice and you have to take this time out of your day every day, which for so many people, they want to have the space to meditate. They've heard about how good it is and the benefits of it. And then it just sets us up for feeling like it's another should and then we right. failed because we didn't make time for it but the way that you describe based on what you learned from your teacher and yeah, I've read this in different texts as well this true meditation is a little bit different and maybe you can um, describe the meditation that you talk about in the book because um, it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful way to think about it yeah so it definitely is different and um, so I have to give all credit to my teacher, Lauren Roche. And if you've never had a chance to talk with him, you should. He is, he's like the Jackson Pollock of the heart and soul. He is, he's like the most internally free human being I've ever met. And, you know, when I, when I look to people to be inspired by or to learn from, I'm like, do I want to be more like that? Or is there a quality that I'm like, yes. And so when I'm around him, I just feel more free and more joyful. And I was initially introduced to his work through a, quite a painful experience, actually. But I read a particular sutra from his text that he calls the Radiant Sutras. And when I read this one um, sutra, it just really woke me up to something I just couldn't deny in my life. I was like, oh my God, everything I think to be true I need to throw it away for the sake of truth. <laughs> you know, it's like, am I willing to let go for the sake of a greater freedom, for the sake of, of greater joy? And so his approach to meditation that um, he and I, you know, work together and teach together now, um, he calls it instinctive meditation. And it's letting go of the, the ideas that were really intended for monks, Right. So it's like when we look to these original teachings on meditation, it wasn't necessarily intended for people that live in the world. And I, I don't think a lot of people recognize that, that it's like, oh, right. This wasn't meant for people that have children and families and jobs and mortgages and are trying to figure out meaning and purpose and also maybe want to get their hair cut every now and then. You know, it's like so this approach to meditation um, it, it is about going on a journey, uh, an inward journey, and recognizing that there's intelligence within the body and that, you know, this idea that you need to sit still, still your mind, 
still everything is in some ways actually causing more harm for some people. And so from this particular approach, we celebrate the movement of life. We celebrate the fluctuations of life. We celebrate the curious mind. And one of the things that Lauren says that I love so much is minds don't wander, they wonder, right? And too often in meditation, we're shaming ourselves for having a mind that is curious. Now, before I say any more about meditation, I would say, I think too many people are, are giving all the credit to meditation right now, saying like, or saying like that meditation is going to be the answer for everything. I think that everyone would benefit from having a whole team of people to help them, whether it's a great therapist, a great acupuncturist, a great, you know, whoever it is to support you on your journey of going in, of healing, to do your work in the world. Um, so I don't come from the school of thought that like meditation should be prescribed to everybody. I, sometimes I think like actually going and taking that time and working on some unresolved issues from your childhood could be the most powerful thing that you do for yourself and using your meditation practice as a time to go into doorways that make you feel more alive. Like what do you care so much about that you want to be with it? You want to spend time with it, finding a practice that actually feels like it's yours rather than just going to a group class or listening to an audio recording that is speaking to a general population versus like, you know, what Lauren really talks about is what do you long for so much that you want to be with it for a certain amount of time? And that might mean looking into your dog's eyes for five minutes as your meditation practice. <laughs> it might mean um, imagining a time where you felt the most alive and connecting to that memory, or it might actually mean dancing and getting up and moving your body and celebrating your practice in that way. So we really let go of this fixed idea that it's sit cross-legged, focus on your breath. If your mind wanders, bring it back. And we really bring in this place of like, you're going to go on a journey regardless of what doorway you go in, whether it's a mantra, whether it's your breath, whether it's an affirmation, whether it's a visualization, that there's going to be moments that you feel like you are with it, whatever the it is. And then there's going to be moments when you journey away and not one is better than the other, that it's all part of the journey. It's like going on a trip. It's like if you've ever gone anywhere, um, you know, it's like I went to Costa Rica and I went on this, this trip and like it was really amazing. And then there was this moment when I thought I was going to die. And in that time, I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever. But now when I tell about this trip, it's like the story I always tell about. And so in some ways, meditation is the same way. It's like, well, we have this idea of how the trip's going to go, how the meditation's going to go, but then something else happens. And then rather than saying, well, this isn't part of the adventure, it should be different. We say, no, this is all part of it. It's all sacred. It's all beautiful. But the question is, what's more interesting right now? What do I want to tend to? What do I want to be with? Because sometimes in meditation, it can feel like, rolfing for your soul or like a deep meditation where it's like it's working out the old aches and pains of life and sometimes rather than being with the mantra that you began with or the whatever the technique was that you began with sometimes what we need to tend to or what's valuable to tend to is all the times that we broke our own heart or the grief that we experienced that we never gave time or space to be with and so we really look at it as um a sacred journey of going inside and celebrating all of the flavors of life and and being in this place of of um, savoring and sweetness and holding and tending to and like lauren says maybe i don't know if i already said this but no shaming no internal spanking 
And so when you said that that practice that you are taking on as I welcome myself, that really is this approach to meditation. We say, welcome it all. Doesn't mean to act from all of it. That's a different thing. But can I be welcoming to my grief and sadness? Can I be welcoming to the part of me that experiences anger? Can I be also welcoming to the part of me that's a wise elder, but also a rebellious child? You know, it's like, can we welcome everything? So that way we can then consciously choose and and how we want to flow through life. So I am forever grateful to Lauren for the, in some ways I feel like it's like this key to freedom and the doorway in of not feeling like I'm meditating wrong or I'm doing it wrong. And I, I just wish for everybody to uh, have a chance for people to experience him. He's not linear. He's a mad scientist of the heart. And it's a, it's a real, real gift. Um, in his particular, I don't know if you've ever gotten your hands on his text, The Radiant Sutras, but it's so beautiful. And it sounds like a book of poetry, but what it actually is, it's an, it's an instruction manual. You know, the book starts out with, um, the original title of the book is the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, which loosely translates as the terror or realizing the terror and joy of realizing the oneness with your soul. Let me say that again the terror and the joy of realizing the oneness with your soul, right? So we go on this journey of both terror and joy. And then the, the book starts out with Shiva asking Shakti, well, how do I experience more of the divine in everyday life? Shiva's like, so glad you asked. I have 112 answers. <laughs> and so this approach to meditation is you don't need to go anywhere unless you want to, right? You don't need to travel the world. You don't need to go to India. You don't need to go to Peru. You don't need to come to Kripalu. You don't need to become a yoga teacher, a Reiki master. A you know, it's the divine is everywhere, all around. And so for me, and divine, however, someone, you know, experiences mm -hmm. that. It's like the bliss. It's the, you know, there's sweetness everywhere. And I just find this practice to be life-changing, I really do, of just a reminder of to get, become more sensitive to life, to awaken my senses, to welcome my senses, to welcome the mystery, and yeah, to, to celebrate it. And then that way I can also then show up for when I need to show up for the parts that aren't the way that I hope that life would be, right? So I can do the work, so I can come from a place of curiosity and wonder first. Anyways, that was a long tangent, but as you can tell, I'm I, um, I love this particular practice and this approach to meditation because it is, it is different. It's liberating. Everything that you said is so valuable. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned that right now your practice is around opportunities for pausing. But mm -hmm. anybody that looks into you and finds out what you have created and what you have achieved, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you, you have first of all, taken thousands of hours of trainings and you've taught for thousands of hours, but you've created um, coaching courses, you've created yoga, te yoga teacher trainings, you have taken so many different certifications and you have served <laughs> in so many different roles of your life. Like, I mean, we could probably talk to you for days and days just about the information that you have about nutrition and Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. You've dabbled in so many different areas. And mm -hmm. I'm asking this on behalf of maybe my inner 20 year old and, um, you know, as a mother of somebody soon to be in their 20s, but also just for everyone, y you clearly have been able to motivate yourself. And what can really steal life from so many of us is fear 
and Mm -hmm. procrastination, which is just a a mode of fear, a byproduct Mm -hmm. of fear. And so to be able to learn everything that you've learned and create everything that you have created, it does take some sort of natural motivation and and that ability to just do it. I like to know where does that come from, first of all, (laughs) and then when you aren't in this moment of pausing, just really practically, like how do you structure your day, your life, so Mm -hmm. that you are able to achieve and create all of this? Um, My mother jokes, she's like, you came out of the womb ready to go. Like, so I think in some ways, if we think about, you know, we talk, I talk about in the book, like authentic nature, and I think that word gets thrown around a lot. But um, it's also about celebrating a particular speed. You know, uh, Lauren always jokes, I'm a married a lightning bolt that lives in a field of flowers you know so I think like naturally I've had a a hunger for just going out there and doing things and trying things on and you know when I was younger talking about you know fear I had a I actually was afraid of big change I was like I didn't want big change when I was like a teenager I was like can everything just stay the same and when I first really recognized that I made a vow to myself that every year, I would try something new that put me totally out of my comfort zone. So this, to this day, I still every year, I'm like, okay, let me try something new that I know nothing about, just for the sake of that practice of like being a beginner of not knowing of not being comfortable of stretching myself, because I think that is the nature of consciousness itself, it wants to expand, right? We live in an entropic state of the universe that we're actually breaking into more parts of ourselves, there is more to experience. And so when I started to put myself in these experiments, it was like, oh, like I, I did. I went to, I, I've been certified in many things. Um, and whether it was, you know, then learning how to skydive or a couple of years ago, I went to floral design school, like an actual professional program, not because I wanted to become a floral designer, but I was like, I actually don't know anything about this. So why not? Hmm. Um, so I think one, it's natural, <clears throat> um, or it, it, it wasn't natural to experience big change, but the ambition was always there. I've always been just naturally ambitious. I actually had it. This is horrible. I, I don't know if I should even share this, but I had a sign in my room as a child that said that no one in my family wrote, no one told me to do this. My parents are the most like kind, loving, generous people. My mother used to always say things like, someone has to come in last place, like, let's cheer for them, you know, like that just very welcoming human being. And my dad was always just always been really easygoing. And just, you know, he'd always be like, relax, kid, you know, lighten up. (laughs) And I had a sign in my room that I made myself that said, you didn't win the silver, you lost the gold. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Little Kobe, little baby Kobe. Um, so I try to think I'm not like that anymore. I try to feel like I've learned and, and, you know, it was never, I've never felt competitive with others. It was always just about for me, like what else, what else is out there? And, um, you know, that time period of being injured in my young adult years was a blessing looking back on it of just, yeah, like, okay, like what else is there if it's not about this external create creativity or whatever so you know it's yeah both a response to my own fears in life and then also just naturally who I am so a little bit of both and of just curiosity of really just being curious of how much of life can I experience 
And, you know, I remember when I was in my 20s, I worked with a Buddhist monk as a mentor of mine, even though I'm not a Buddhist. But, and I remember just really, I was like, I want to be like a, ma I want to be masterful at something. And he would always say to me, like, you can't be a master of anything until you become a masterful apprentice. And that like really struck a chord with me of, of like, right, like, I don't need to get to the end of the road. Can I fully just experience the life that I'm experiencing? And so when I talk about pausing now, it's like I've experienced so many things and I love how I've I love how I've lived my life. I really do. Are there things I regret? Of course. Are, are there ways in which I could have shown up differently or engaged with people differently or spoken differently? Absolutely. But I but I do, you know, when I teach the program for people in their 20s, I tell them, you know, or I, I share with them, like, I don't have the answers for you. I have no idea how you should live your life. I don't have any idea how anyone should live their life. But I do think it makes life more interesting the more experiments you put yourself in. And there's more to learn and there's more to be revealed. And then there's just more, there's more to, to cherish. And so for me, it's like now it's like, okay, I've experienced a lot. And how do I just do I marinate more, savor more, taste more? And it's less about these big experiments and more kind of like what you were saying of, of how you're taking the experiment of bliss on of how can I really see clearly, right? If one of the definitions is of yoga that I really resonate with is that yoga is seeing life clearly beyond fear, fantasy, and distortions. And I want to see as clearly as I can. And so to me, all these experiments is a, is a way into seeing a greater truth, a greater reality, uh, a greater way of being in the world. It calls me to a higher level of integrity. And hopefully I can be a, you know, hopefully I can show up in a way to show other people. It's like, hey, like, this is what happens when you put yourself into the experiment of your life. And no one knows what experiments you need. Um, all you can do is, is check in and uh, try things on and see how it goes, collect some data. So I don't know if that answered your question, but um, yeah. Well, I think it's a good reminder. We have, you know, obviously lots of yoga teachers listening and, and people that are entrepreneurs, but it's a good reminder because we can all tell ourselves that we just have to have more and more and more information and we have to learn this and learn that before we're ready. And sometimes it's just so important to listen to what's what you already know and integrate that and, and listen yeah, to your own at, inner right? wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like be where we're at rather than where we're going to be. It's like one of the, I don't know how this works for you all, but it's so interesting. One of the number one questions that I get asked by other teachers or facilitators after I teach a workshop is, um, you know, not not what was the impact, you know, did, what shifted for your participants, but it's the number one question that other facilitators will ask or other teachers is how many people were in your program? Mm -hmm. And I always think that's such a funny question. I'm like, you know, in some ways I get it. And then other ways I'm like, why are we so obsessed with numbers? And I remember the first workshop I ever taught, maybe I had six or seven people and two of them were my mom and her best friend. Um, <laughs> And I just remember being like kind of sad. I was like, oh my God, there's only six people coming. And my mother was like, you mean six people came to listen to you? And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, what? She's like, yeah, six people were interested enough to spend their afternoon and listen to you. Like, and if you have changed one person's life or if you've in, in, impacted one person in your entire life, then you actually have changed the world. Mm -hmm. And that simple reminder, I know it's kind of cheesy, but it's mm -hmm. so true and it, it sticks with me all the time of, 
it's not about the numbers. And anytime I lead yoga teacher training or my life coach training or leadership training, any training, I'm just like, stop worrying about the numbers. If you need, if you're doing what you're doing to pay your mortgage and then it becomes a number game for you, go get a job. Like go just get another job to pay your bills and do this work because you love it and you believe in it and trust the unfolding of it rather than where you know you can be. Learn to be an apprentice to this phase of your life and to watch the number game. You know, it's like, if we've impacted one person's life and if that one person is just ourselves, we have changed the world. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for my mom just kind of like, hey, reality check, you know? And so I try to steer away from that question with any of my friends, like, oh, how many people were in your mm-hmm. workshop? Or how many people signed up? Versus what was the impact? What happened? Mm-hmm. What'd you learn? What'd they learn? Right? Mm-hmm. Such a great reminder. Mm-hmm. We we always look at the metric of success as like you said, the number of participants or did you sell out? Mm-hmm. And your, I want to call your mom weekly and have her remind me of that. My mom's the best. Yes. Like I, and my mother's not into the yoga world at all. The whole, that whole time she was in the workshop, she was standing in the back giggling with her best friend, mouthing to me, I'm not going to do this. And I was like, really? My mother's the problem student right now? Like, you know, but in many ways, it's like both of my parents are probably more yogic than most quote unquote yogic people I know. Like mm-hmm. they are role models of kindness, of generosity. I've never heard my parents say an unkind thing about anybody ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't even know if I can say, you know, I, I would love to say that I was that person, but I don't know that I, I show up that way all the time. And so for me, I think uh, my friend Katie Brower was on your show. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she always says is, you know, who are you when nobody's watching? Mm-hmm. And I just love that reminder. It's like, yeah, how are we living our yoga when no one's watching and when no one's at the workshop and no one's signing up? And how are we, how are we engaging? How are we participating? How are we, are we doing, you know, where are we committing crimes against wisdom and what are we doing about it? And uh, yeah, so to me, it's like, if the work is really just about going in and doing your own work, like that is the place to be in. That is the place to be in. And not looking at what we're seeing out on social media when it comes to other people, because would the (laughs) onus even be on numbers if we weren't scrolling through our feeds and seeing numbers and other teachers and what they're doing? And I think that needs to be more of a practice in the world that we live in now is like, what's a tangible practice that we can do? to to fight this comparison which has so many of us feeling less than and then it's stealing our potential because we're giving up on ourselves yeah and it's just like it's i mean again it's not to say that i haven't ever cared about numbers but it it is the practice right like you said of just okay creating that boundary of what actually matters and why am i doing this and getting really like you know getting really clear of what's my real intention is this about me feeling seen and heard or is this about me wanting to offer a gift right or offer something and you know even with the book coming out it's like people are like well how many books have you sold already and it's like well of course I want people to buy the book I'd be lying if I didn't say that because I you know I care about what's in there and I really do think it's valuable and I don't want to get lost in that either I I want to do whatever I need to do for for to share it with people because I do think it's valuable and I do think it can support people loving their life more or savoring life more or riding the waves of life more and at the same time to remember like that's not what it's about and so part of my my intention with the book is how can i make this as accessible to as many people both you know in financial need or whatever and and 
creating scholarships, like all the money that I've made from the book, I'm creating scholarships and free online content because that's another thing that I really am stepping into in this phase of my life is, is I want this, probably why you all started this podcast, I don't know, but I just think that this type of information should be accessible to anybody that wants it and, mm-hmm. you know, not for money to be a barrier. And, you know, it's a big conversation. It's like, yes, I do think that we can make money or, you know, it's okay to make money doing this type of work. But I also, I live in both camps of like, yeah, but I also just think it should be free, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that part of why, like, why did you all start this podcast? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head is mm-hmm. when Amy and I met and we started to work together and teach together, we were mostly sharing the tools from our paths that support us in all of these different ways. Just, you know, that, and that's what your book was about too. And we thought, well, how can we be, how can we be of service? And that's, that is what I, I'm also learning from my current teacher um, from a yoga therapy school. He's always asking us to ask ourselves, how can we be of service? And this felt like a more powerful way that we could be of service. I love that. Yeah. And it's like, and it goes back to why I, you know, tell a lot of people, I'm just like, it's okay to have a job to make money so that way it can still, it, it just doesn't get clouded. Like for me, I feel like when I teach, you know, certain um, programs like that, that program for people in their twenties, I'm very clear like I try to make that as as affordable as I possibly can. I tell the retreat centers I teach it at, I'm like, what's the least amount that you can charge so that way the most people can come? How do we create the most amount of scholarships so that way, you know, it's accessible to more people? I still recognize that there's limitations to that. Um, but yeah, it's like that really feels more and more important to me of not just saying that I want to be of service, but like I really want to be of service, mm-hmm. right? Because I think... I think in the yoga world or the wellness world, all the words can start to lose meaning. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I try to take time away from all the words, all the teaching, all the yoga. I used to take like months off from teaching and just, you know, just totally take a break and be like, do I still believe all of this? Or have I just gotten so well versed at saying all of it? Mm-hmm. And I would just throw it all away. Just like, I don't believe any of it anymore. And then be like, well, actually, this is still useful. <laughs> like uh, this one. This one's of service, or you know, this one's. I still, I still believe in this one, and that's really what the book became. Of like, after I've thrown it all away so many times, what do I still live into, and what do I hope that anyone reads it can get, even if they got one thing from it, right? There's a quote in there that I love so much that comes from uh, supposedly Swami Kripalu said, "Are your words an improvement upon silence?" Mm-hmm. It's like to me as a speaker and a teacher and a talker. It's like, for me, that practice, so when you ask me, like, what's a practice for me? Like, that practice, I love that one, of like, why am I saying what I'm saying, and is it useful? And if it's not, then why am I talking? Like, shut up, you know, or create space for other people, or listen more, and listen more to myself. And so, um, yeah, I don't know how I started going down this road, but I just love this idea of deep listening. You speak so beautifully about facing your fears and being curious and questioning and why we're doing what we're doing. And even though I share this podcast with Lisa and I teach public classes, you know, one of my huge fears is public speaking. Mm, Interesting. I love this about you. Yes. And you mentioned on your website that one of your gifts is public speaking. (laughs) Right. Um, Can you share 
for me and for our listeners, any tips that might help any of us in this area? You know, it's funny. I, I actually, so my friend Katie recently challenged me to like put myself more in Instagram. Like I have a love hate thing with, Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with social media, <laughs> more hate than love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of avoid it. I'm just like, oh, do I really, should I, could I, do I need to? And so my friend Katie was just like, just put yourself out there more. Like just put some stuff on Instagram and whatever. And I was like, but I can't, I'm not following the formula. I'm not doing all the things that everyone keeps telling me I'm supposed to do. Like you put the little, you know, thing here and your video needs to be less than a minute. And I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I need to do it my way. So I actually just recently posted a, a story about this um, um, that I've never taken a public speaking course. I've never done Toastmasters. I've never done anything. So I don't actually have any real tips on it <laughs> other than this. I was one time teaching a workshop at Kripalu years ago. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she was like, can I give you some feedback? And I was like, oh gosh, like people love to give feedback. And <laughs> it's usually like, let me tell you all the things that you did wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that's not true. People are very nice and they often say very kind things. But this woman said to me, well, I'm a professor at Harvard and I teach public speaking. I was like, oh mm-hmm. God, like how many things did I say wrong? How many times did I say the word like? And I'm sure I definitely said um, and I didn't look in the right direction. And like just all, like the list of things that I was preparing myself for her to tell me that I did incorrectly. And she said, the best advice that I could give you is to never take any public speaking classes. She said, there's something so gritty and real and authentic about the way you speak that I worry that if you took these classes, you would become a too polished version of yourself and it would lose what is naturally great about the way that you tell stories and the way that you speak. And so that honestly shaped my whole life as a speaker. I've never taken anything. And I just, and it's not that I don't take in information of potential blind spots in speaking or word habits that I try to pay attention to. It's more that I just want to share because I like sharing and being in the conversation because I like being in the conversation. And I imagine, you know, for the two of you, why you do this podcast is just to genuinely be in the conversation with people. And I, that's how I want to be. That's how I am as a, a speaker. I tell a lot of stories. I'm a big time storyteller and I like it to be, you know, I never, I, or I very rarely have notes or whatever. I just try to be like, okay, what, how do I want to show up and just, share and listen and be in in the field like pay attention to what's actually happening and what my best guess is what's needed versus what i have planned do nerves <laughs> play a part at, at all with you and you, you you put yourself out there a lot you know, you've been on the cover of magazines and you, you lead a lot of different situations mm-hmm. is it a, is it the the more you've done it the more confident you have become has there ever been a place where you've had to overcome self-consciousness not with speaking Hmm. like speaking has been like again i now i keep referring to my parents um you know my dad was just like you've been a talker your whole life like you started talking and you never stopped and i that's not true let me take that back what's more true than what i just said was when i did the tedx talk that was the first time that I was like, oh my God, I'm like actually nervous like to speak because it was like, okay, you have to stay in between these two pieces of tape and there's lights on you and there's a timer clock like ticking down. So I was nervous to do that. I was a little like, oh, okay. And you know, a couple deep breaths. But once I got going, 
I felt great. But that was the first time I'm like, oh, is this what people feel Mm -hmm. when they feel nervous Mm -hmm. to speak? But that's why I like to do things that make me nervous. Like I like to be in other situations where I feel a little uncomfortable. Like for me, um, what would be more uncomfortable than public speaking is I need to go and do one of those things with like a beekeeper where there's like thousands of bees on me. That would make me a little uncomfortable. Like that, like just even talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I should probably do that. And so that's what I like. I like to find those things for the sake of being able to create that boundary with the whatever inner world that I'm making up, right? Where am I creating an inner hell that is just made up? You know, there's that saying that you, you know, too often people crash the plane before it takes off. So I like to be in those kind of situations. So that way I can be like, okay, it's, you know, in in the yoga world, we talk about, it's that composting, it's facing the inner gremlins or demons or angst or whatever, and being with it, not making it bad and wrong that it's there, but welcoming it, being with it. So that way it actually loses its power. And I do think that the more I practice it, we practice whatever the thing is that makes us uncomfortable, the more we can just be with whatever life presents us, that I can be with whatever life presents me. I want to really highlight what you just said, and I'm I'm taking it in. I want to integrate what you just said because you had the sense of those nerves and the way that many of us feel when we are called to speak in a group, whether it even be at a social situation and all of a sudden all eyes are on you. Um, you had a sense of feeling that way, and then you didn't make it bad or wrong. And I think that might mm-hmm. be the difference that I was looking for there because I think just based on my own personal history, some of those feelings eventually led to like my history with disordered panic. And I think that's still a some like that's still a samskara or um, just a lens that is there through habit that when those feelings of self-consciousness come on, when, you know, when the heart starts to go and, and you have those feelings of nerves, which can also Mm -hmm. be excitement, you know, we can reframe it that way there's probably still a bit a part of me that is making that scary. And and then yeah. then you get into that cycle with your nervous system in your mind, but you are naturally not making that scary. You're just watching it and noticing it. And I think that's powerful. Yeah. And I think one other thing, you know, for me, like whenever like it would be yoga teacher training and people would be doing like their practice teach or whatever, and they would, they would have that nervous feeling. And I think you just said it. It's like, I would always say like, yay, what a gift that you're nervous. It just means you care, right? So I think Mm -hmm. that the experience of moments of feeling nervous in my life, it's like, all right, I care about this. And even talking to the two of you, it's like, of course I want to be articulate and of course I want to come off the right way. And I'm sure when we end, I'm going to look back and be like, did I make any sense? Was I just rambling? Why did I say that? Why didn't I say this? You know, there'll be a self-reflection because I care about wanting to, to share in a, a particular way. And so, yeah, for me, it's just, yeah, back to that point, not making it bad and wrong. It's simply because I care. And, and it's like, you know, it's vulnerable to put yourself out there. And so for me, the book has been more vulnerable than public speaking, because in a way, it's like, but I can't explain if someone didn't understand that sentence. But if I'm public speaking, and I can look into the um, participants or whoever's there. And if I can see confusion, I'm like, oh, let's name what's here. Let's work with that. But in a book, if someone's in Ohio reading chapter seven and they're like, what, what does she mean here? And they misinterpret it. It's like, ah, like that's, that feels vulnerable to me or that feels 
something to me because I care, because I wanted to land and because I wanted to support people. And I, you know, I live into these, these teachings myself over and over and over again. I wish I could say, oh yeah, I wrote this book and I'm done with all those things. But you know, the last chapter is begin again. It's all right, like let's do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And for me to be in all of these places, back to your question of like, what's your why or for the sake of it's, you know, for the sake of, I, I really do believe that our freedom is entangled with each other, right? Our liberal liberation is caught up in each other and we are in this together, whether we like it or not. And what's my little part that I can play, you know, of the tapestry that we're weaving together. So, yeah, I think it's about caring and it's about, yeah, when I hang up after this call, I'm going to be kind to myself and be like, okay, you did the best you could. And, and, and if pe when people have opinions, it's like, well, all I can do is learn from that and, and grow from that. And I might not be for everybody and that's okay too, even though I of course would want everyone to like me. So those are always good reminders of, you know, I'm doing the best I can and so are you. And just like me, you want to be loved, heard, seen, accepted. And yeah. I think you've done an amazing job articulating all of these things. And I don't feel like you've rambled at all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and when you have those moments after this podcast ends, is there anything you want to share now that, that we haven't touched upon? I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, I probably could talk to the two of you for the rest of my life and just be like, hey, let's call tomorrow and let's do this again. And um, let's begin again tomorrow. Yeah, right. Like, I just think, you know, for me, it's just real appreciation for I, real appreciation for anybody that's trying and putting themselves out there. And I really appreciate that you're doing the work that you're doing and that, that we're in the experiment, you know, and uh, that we're all they're all trying and to do the best that we can to create that the boundaries that are getting in the way of us really just putting ourselves out there, whether it's public speaking, whether it's jumping out of the plane, whether it's starting the business, leaving the relationship, staying in the relationship, you know, it's just like, let's just go for it. And can we celebrate each other and support each other as best we possibly can? And, you know, in this world of back to the social media thing in the world of it's so easy to find things that are wrong, right? It's so easy to find how someone could do something better and whether it's myself or other people. But to me, the real practice is, can we pause long enough and to celebrate all that is beautiful in the world right now or in our lives right now? And again, it sounds so simplistic, but I really think when we start from that place, we can have more energy to compost our hurts and our wounds and our stories and our past to the fuel to show up to keep stepping towards the world that we want to create and, you know, to really just hammer in why the book is called one degree revolution is that we don't have to do everything. And I say in the beginning of the book, like pick one of these experiments because they might not all be for you, but the one that you resist the most probably is the one that's trying to get your attention. But regardless, pick something and go in and, and stay curious and stay open and, and be in a place of wonder. And that over enough time, if you keep committing to that one degree that, you know, making a commitment that you won't keep committing that crime against wisdom, we'll all end up in a different place. And I imagine it's going to be one step closer to the world that we want to live in because, again, we've got plenty of work to do. So we, it's just like if enough of us will start and stay interested and, and keep each other going and, you know, keep the community alive. And I think that's what you both are doing particularly with this podcast and the work that you do out in the world is it's bringing a community of people together to give and gift ideas for how we can show up and, and create the world that we're longing for. So thank you. Well, and thank you. 
Thank you for being an example of what can happen when you just do the work and you go for it. And thank you for the book, which is such a beautiful work of art and evidence of all your hard work. I treasure this book already. Thanks. Thanks so much, Kobe. You two are so lovely. Thank you. Really. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.